Shalom, this is Origin Gates' daily podcast, Wisdom's Echo. My name is Carl Whitehead. In this podcast, I'd like to begin a, a, seri- a new series, and that series will be centered around the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. And what I would like to do is, in this first podcast of the series, just give us a bit of a background to help sort of introduce some of the things that I want to be talking about when we start analyzing and looking into each of the Ten Commandments and how they relate to one another and how this relation to one another allows us to draw out the different layers that sit within the Ten Commandments and form the very fabric of society that sits within the heart of God and his desire for humanity. So first of all, there's something, I just want to point out something very obvious, yet often not talked about, and that is with the question, why two tablets? Why is this needed? So we know from the book of Exodus and also in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Shemot and Devarim, that what is well known is that God inscribed upon two tablets of stone, Shani Luchot Avanim, and then gave them to Moses. So why did he need to use two tablets? I think this is a very good question, because what we can do when we ask that question is we can start a discussion about why. What is, the, what is the mystery behind this? Because God didn't need to do it on two tablets. He could have quite easily used one. Or, subsequently, he could have used ten. The, the number here seems to be pointing towards something. And I would like to suggest, as the rabbis and the sages have, that it's because we need to realize that there are two types of relational imperatives going on here and this is something that we will investigate more as we go through this series but I just want to put that out to you to get you thinking about it first and foremost so we know there's two tablets and that there are five mitzvah or commandments upon each of the tablets so tablet number one deals primarily with what we would determine as the relationship between God and people. Now, we're going to call these vertical relationships, an up and down sort of a thing. The first four, of course, let's just quickly go through them. So the first one, first mitzvah, the first commandment talks, says, I am Hashem Elohim, I am the Lord your God. The second one is, do not have any gods or others in my presence, and you will not make idols to worship. Number three is, do not take the name of Hashem Elohim in vain. Number four is, honor the Shabbat. And number five, honor your father and mother. So that fifth one seems a bit different all of a sudden. It seems to fit more with the second tablet. So we want to we ask the question, what's going on here? And when we get to that, we will be able to see a very interesting correlation going on between the vertical relationship between God and the horizontal relationship we have with our parents. So the second tablet 
contains what we would call the principles or mitzvahs of relationships between people. So how we should be treating each other. So we're going to call these horizontal relationships. So the, the sixth one, let's quickly run through them. The sixth is do not murder. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not be a false witness. And number ten, do not covet. Now, another thing that I would like to do in, in this introduction is point out or suggest to you that there is a, mirror, a mirroring between and a correlation between the opposites of each mitzvah on these tablets. And what, what do I mean by that? What I mean is that when you look at the first commandment, I am the Lord your God, I am Hashem Elohim, then there is a correlation between that and number six, which is do not murder. And this is one of the things that I really want to sort of expose as the layer, the principal underlying layers that sit under these Ten Commandments that will help us understand the fabric of society that God envisions for humanity. And so each one of these, or each mitzvah on either tablet, correlates to the opposite one. So 1 and 6, 2 and 7, 3 and 8, 9, sorry, 4 and 9, and 5 and 10. So we want to talk about those as well. But before I get into that, and what I want to do in this introduction is talk about the idea of what is a covenant, because the Torah gives us a number of very specific covenants between God and man. And we can look at each of one of those and we can see a very interesting relational progression towards Sinai, towards Mount Sinai, where the revelation of the Ten Commandments took place. So I want to ask this question, what is a covenant? Now the Hebrew word for covenant is brit, or bris, as it's said in the Ashkenaz vernacular. So the best way I always find to approach this type of question, what is a covenant, is to give it a natural, let's, let's approach it from a natural perspective first. I did this when asking the question about what is peace, what is shalom. Now it's interesting that this idea of peace really sits at the heart of covenant. And so in it would be fair to state that the majority of covenants are actually peace treaties or non-aggression pacts. So what, what this can mean is that you have two opposing factions that are what we would call of equal strength. Now this is known as a parity treaty. So they have parity between the two. So they know that if there was a conflict, the outcome of that conflict is not necessarily a given thing. So nations, people groups, they decide that the best way to go about life is to agree not to be aggressive with one another. Because of course that really can turn your day into a very negative thing. But there is another type of covenant, and this is, it's got a very interesting name. It's called a suzerainty treaty, and this is interesting because it's a treaty 
between a strong power and a weaker one. Now this is in fact the type of covenant that God has with humanity because we can all agree that the divine nature of God is far exceedingly above our own and our humanity. And yet we have this amazing relationship with God. We have amazing relational potential with God. And when we look at the idea of covenant and we look at what is happening in the Torah, we understand, we can start to understand and start to think that it's all about relation potential, the potential of relationship between God and ourselves and between one another. Therefore, we can see when we look, I'll show you three examples, the main, or the three examples that appear in Torah of a covenant between God and man. So what we see in the book of Genesis, the book of Bereshit, is an example of peace treaties or non-aggression pacts. And we see three of these, and the three are between Avraham and Avimelech, which is in 26-28, sorry, 21-27, and, and Yitzchak, the son of Avraham, also had a non-aggression treaty or pact with Avimelech. You see that in chapter 26, verse 28. And also we see a very interesting non-aggression treaty between Yaakov and his father-in-law, Laban, which we find in 31.44. So there are, there are three examples already we can see in the book of Genesis where we see the natural occurrence of covenant. So how covenant works in the natural arena. But our focus really needs to be on the idea of covenant from a divine perspective. So the substance of the covenants between God and humanity, however, cannot be defined in secular terms because they provide a theological framework through which the relationship between God and humanity is understood. So we come back again to this term I used earlier of relational potential, the potential of relationship. So a non-aggression pact or a peace treaty doesn't talk about or doesn't deal with the issue of relationship at heart. It just says, I'll leave you alone, you'll leave me alone, and we'll get on with life. And as long as we don't get aggressive with one another, we can continue to live as we choose. But with God, it is very different. And this is very important. It's something I want you to be thinking about and pondering about as we go through this series. The relationship between God and humanity. So there are three divine covenants in the Torah. So the first one is between God and Noah. And subsequently through Noah, through to all of humanity. Now we find this in Genesis 9 after the flood. I encourage you to go and read it. Now the second one is between God and Avraham, which we find in Genesis 17. Now this is the one that extends to the descendants of Avraham as well. Now the third one is between God and the Israelites at Mount Sinai, which of course we see first in 
Exodus 20, or Shemot, as we like to say it in Hebrew, and also we see it repeated in the book of Deuteronomy. We find that in beginning in 5 verse 6, the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy. What a wonderful book this is. <laughs> okay, so, but here's one thing that's very interesting that I want to point out to you. There, there is a very clear development through these three covenants as we move towards Sinai. And this issue revolves around consent and reciprocal action on behalf of God and those whom he made the covenants with. So the first one, first point of note is that with Noah, God did not require or ask Noah's consent. And the only resulting stipulation from Noah and, human and humanity was the resulting seven Noahide laws. So number two, in the, of the covenant between Avraham and God, Avraham was asked to show his consent through the abiding ritual of circumcision. Now, then we get to number three, the, the covenant at Sinai. And here's the real interesting thing, is that it was only after the people signaled their assent or their agreement that God proceeded with the revelation of the Ten Commandments. If you look in Exodus 19.8, this is what it says. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. Now, it is this response that makes the underlying relational principle of the Ten Commandments possible. Now, just in closing, I would like to sort of read something from an essay that Rabbi Sachs of Blessed Memory wrote while talking about what he calls the politics of responsibility that sits around this idea of covenant and why the the covenants put forward in Torah are so unique in the form of politics. And I think this is, this is very interesting. And I'd like you to listen to this and ponder on what he is saying here. So, covenantal politics is distinctive in the following ways. So, covenantal politics, he's talking about the, the, the covenant, the covenantal politics of Torah. So, firstly, it is a politics of collective responsibility. Now this idea is very, very important because if you look at what Moshe says in Deuteronomy 29 verses 9 to 10, he says this, he says, this covenant, you, these, you are all partakers of the responsibility of this covenant. He says, your leaders, your tribes, your elders and officials all the men of Israel, your children, your wives, the strangers in your camp from the wood cutter to the water drawer. So this is this is the the quintessence of the idea of we the people agreeing to covenant. And number two he says that it's a politics rooted in the principled equality of dignity of all citizens. In other words, there is no such thing as covenantal elite in the eyes of God when it comes to relationship with him. He doesn't look at people groups and say, 
this people here, they have a higher priority in my covenant, in my relationship of my covenant of relationship than anybody else. Number three, it is a moral politics. So in other words, it's a politics in which we can be called to account on the grounds of justice. Hence the importance in biblical politics of the prophetic voice. Now that's just a very interesting statement because the idea of the prophetic was to hold those in government accountable. This is God's way of saying, excuse me, there is, there is a covenant on the table here that says this, 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 and this. You are not abiding by it. And because of this, my people are suffering. You are leading them astray. You are responsible for your actions. So number four, it is a politics rooted not in power, but in a mutual pledge. Now he's got an interesting quote here from Philip Selznick, which puts it, faith based on covenant might be called a constitutional faith, founded in the giving and receiving of promises. Now I love that because the, the idea of Morality is that it's founded in the in the capacity to freely promise something. So when you promise something, you then choose to be obligated. You choose to obligate yourself to see that promise through. Now, isn't that an amazing way of looking at divine covenant? Now, number five, it is a politics rooted in remembrance and covenantal renewal. Now, this is what makes the generational blessing of the Torah possible because every generation must be passed something, something to look at, something to study, something to agree to, something to build upon the understanding and the revelation of what has come before. This, this, and this is such a beautiful thing in regards to testimonial laws. Now it can be said, and it should be said, that Shabbat, the Sabbath, is a testimonial command. It's saying, remember the work, the divine work of God that made all this possible. So there we go. There's our introduction into this and so in the next podcast i really want to dive into the corresponding structure between the two sets of mitzvahs in the decalogue and let me leave you with this quote from halal which said an amazing he said this amazing thing when a prospective convert approached him and he said to him teach me the torah in one sentence so that i don't have to stand around and learn it for too long, which of course it's a silly thing to ask, but he said something quite remarkable in return. He said this, that which is hateful to you, do not do it to your fellow. That is the whole Torah, the rest is interpretation or commentary. <laughs> what a wonderful thing to close on. So, Baruch Hashem.